I've got good news and I've got bad news. Let's start with the bad news. The bad news is that the Trump administration has begun the formal transition process to the Biden administration in a limited way, but it has begun the transition process. Bad news. The good news, President Trump still has not conceded the election. The good news, there is still a long legal process that needs to play out. The good news, Bush v. Gore took 38 days. We're on day 21 of all this. And then the shocking news is there is somehow a more disturbing transition going on in this country, even than the one that's going on in the White House. This one involves gender ideology and kids. We'll get into all of it. I'm Michael Knowles. This is The Michael Knowles Show. Welcome back to the show. My favorite comment yesterday from the Frog Prince 89 who says, Governor Cuomo is about to receive an Emmy Award for leadership during the pandemic. Aren't Emmys supposed to be awarded to actors? Does this mean that Cuomo was just playing the role of a good governor? Excellent analysis of this. Yes. And our entertainment sector is playing the role of an entertainment sector. And our liberal political elite are playing the role of politicians. And actually, our real political life is being made by a a staler a less constitutional bureaucratic edifice, which actually Joe Biden is showing us as his transition begins. Very discouraging news, though the fight is not yet over. Why did this begin? In part, I suspect it began because yesterday the Michigan Board of Canvassers certified the state for Joe Biden. So the, the process as we elect the president is you go out and you vote, or this time you don't go out and you vote. You, you write your name on a piece of paper and then you send it in and some crook in a democratic machine city decides how and what to count. And then, you know, they go out to the graveyards and they dig up a number of democratic voters and they say, okay, go make sure we, we want to make sure that you're enfranchised as well. So I don't know. That's just how I'm imagining this process plays out. We don't know for sure. I suppose the legal process will show us. In any event, you go out and you vote and then the numbers come in, and then that, that does not decide who gets the electoral votes. The state needs to certify the winner of the election, which has not happened in Michigan up until this point. There were Republican members of this election board who were going to delay this, and now they stopped delaying it. So Michigan's election board voted three in favor and one abstaining to certify the state's election results, which means that Michigan goes to Joe Biden. It, it is not impossible for Donald Trump to get Michigan now, but it's, it's very difficult. Uh, you could have a situation in which the court overturns this certification of, of the, the vote, but it's, historically speaking, seems pretty unlikely. The Trump administration, for their part, has begun to acquiesce to a transition process. This began with the GSA, the, uh, uh, one of the uh, administrative agencies in the government, Emily Murphy, who is the administrator of the U.S. General Services Administration, says that she has, quote, the ability under the Presidential Transition Act of 1963 as amended to make certain post-election resources and services available to exist in the event of a presidential transition, and therefore she was going to do this. Now, Emily Murphy had been getting a lot of Uh, death threats and things like that because she had not begun the transition process already. Now I suspect she's going to get a lot of hate from conservatives who wish that that she does not begin this transition process. Um, Emily Murphy writes, I have dedicated much of my life to public service. I've always strived to do what is right 
Please know that I came to my decision independently based on the law and available facts. I was never directly or indirectly pressured by any executive branch official, including those who work at the White House or the GSA, with regard to the substance or timing of my decision. Now, what she's saying is Trump didn't bully me into making my decision. He didn't bully me either into uh, going for this, you know, going and starting the transition or bully me into not starting the transition. She's saying, I made this independently as a member of the bureaucracy. And she's saying this as though it were a good thing. I don't think that's a good thing. I think that the duly elected president should be making these sorts of decisions. I don't think that an independent bureaucracy, so-called independent bureaucracy, should be making these decisions for the duly elected president. It's a complete misunderstanding of how our government works and it affects the left and the right. But President Trump had a surprising reaction to to this move. We were all waiting for the angry tweets and uh, that's that's not exactly what we saw, you know. All, all of the uh, all of the threats this woman was getting on the internet, I think we can probably relate to because your data is not always secure. This holiday season, you could miss certain identity threats by just monitoring your credit and bank statements. Get LifeLock, the leader in identity theft protection. LifeLock helps detect a wide range of identity threats, like your social security number for sale on the dark web. If they detect your information being used in their network, they will send you an alert. If you become a victim of identity theft, LifeLock can help you restore your identity easier than what you can do on your own. It's very easy for people to steal your information online. You have got to be the one who's responsible for protecting your data. I know I used to be like this. I used to think, ah, no one's coming for my data. They are, and, and you're much more vulnerable, I think. It, like, I'm not particularly computer literate. I didn't realize how vulnerable I was. Now, obviously, no one can prevent all identity theft or monitor all transactions at all businesses, but LifeLock can help you feel protected this holiday season. The best sale of the year is happening right now. Save up to 30% off your first year at lifelock.com slash Knowles, K-N-O-W-L-E-S. That is 30% off. You're never going to get that anywhere. 30% off at lifelock.com slash Knowles. Sale ends November 30th. President Trump, I was waiting for the flurry of angry tweets at the GSA administrator, but that's not what happened. President Trump actually backed her up and he was very gracious about it. And he said, she's done a good job and he really supports her. And she's making some resources available to the presidential transition, but she's not, uh, he rather is not going to concede the election just yet. It's a little bit of a mixed message. I have to say, I wish that the president would not begin the transition process. I wish, and I, who knows, maybe this GSA administrator is being honest here when she says she made the decision independently. She should not make the decision independently. She should not be permitted to make the decision independently. The decision of whether or not to concede an election and beginning the, the transition process is in a limited way, a concession, a partial concession. That decision should be made by the president alone, not by some bureaucrat. I don't care if it's a lovely bureaucrat who served in the government all her life. I don't care. The president should make that decision. And I, I do wish that the president uh, were not acquiescing. I, I'm appreciative that he's still keeping up the fight. He still says he's going to be filing major lawsuits in the coming uh, week or two. Still going to duke this out until the end. But I wish, I wish there were no acquiescence whatsoever. There is a legal process that will play out. Michigan's going to certify the vote. Okay, that's a knock. That's too bad. Georgia is going to certify the vote. That's too bad. Legal options are narrowing. Okay, that's fine. But there is no reason to give in to these left-wing bullies who are insisting that we 
not use every legal remedy available. There's no reason to suggest that it is overturning constitutional norms to allow the legal process to play out. The left, who are now prattling on about constitutional norms, have spent six months burning the country to the ground and openly telling us they would not respect the results of the election. Hillary Clinton openly saying Joe Biden should not concede under any circumstances. I do not want to be lectured by these people on constitutional norms, particularly when we conservatives are the ones who are following them. Joe Biden may well ascend to the presidency. We'll find out on December 14th when the electors vote. That's, that, that will determine it. <laughs> we'll, we'll know. And in January, we'll have a president. And maybe that president will have ascended fair and square. Maybe that president will have ascended through fraud. I don't know. But either way, we will have a president. I, I think back when people have asked if, if Joe Biden you know, does win and there is a lot of evidence of fraud, let's say, should we accept him as the president? I do think back to the many stolen elections throughout history and the many stolen transitions of power. I, I go back, forget even just in American history, go back to 1688 in the United Kingdom. The analogy I like to use is uh, when, in 1688 when they deposed the good King James II and, and they bring in these interlopers, William and Mary of Orange. I think those interlopers are completely illegitimate. I think the proper King of England is, are the descendants of King James II who are prattling about, you know, they're running around in uh, France or, or Liechtenstein somewhere. Nevertheless, Queen Elizabeth is the Queen of England, right? That's just, that is just a description of reality. So we may have to deal with a president that we don't like or who we, who we think won through nefarious means. But we don't have to do it yet, guys. This was my show yesterday. I think I might be the last patient man in America. We should absolutely exhaust every option available to us. Now, if the Biden transition does happen, if Biden does become president, Boy, oh boy, are we in for it. Joe Biden has announced from the vaunted office of the president-elect that he has given himself, he announced that he's going to put John Kerry, the failed secretary of state, into a new position in his administration. He will make him the climate czar. The climate czar. I didn't know there was a climate czar. I guess there isn't one, but now there will be. I suppose John Kerry will be in charge of manipulating science to make all of our political decisions for us outside of the authentic realm of politics. What this tells me, what this signals to me, this one appointment of John Kerry is that the Biden administration, if it occurs, will be the coronavirus lockdown on steroids. It will be an administration of coronavirus lockdowns, not just, not specifically with regard to coronavirus or the lockdown, but broadly to the idea that we are going to have our politics dictated to us by egghead idiots in white lab coats who are then interpreted by politicians who want to pretend that they're not being politicians. And the, the rules that come out of the Biden administration are going to all have the sheen and patina of science on it. This is something the left has been doing for now about 150 years. They say, no, our, our political preferences, they're not, they're not politics. It's science. We have discovered, Marx said this, we have discovered the science of history, the science of politics. It's not up for debate. How dare you disagree? We know the science of it. And that's what we're going to get. We're going to get new government offices that pretend to be non-political, purely scientific, and they are going to exert probably greater influence on our politics than anything else in our government. John Kerry. And so if we're going to have these new scientific offices that we can't disagree with, that are not open to debate, 
Do we think John Kerry is the right guy for this job? Some people forget this. John Kerry has been wrong about everything his whole life. <laughs> I don't think he's ever been right about a single thing, ever, once. He's been wrong since he got back from Vietnam. He's been wrong since he's, he was in the Senate. He was certainly wrong as Secretary of State. Do you remember when John Kerry was Secretary of State? He's co- coming into this role. He's speaking at the Brookings Institution. He comes in and he says that there is absolutely no way that uh, you're going to have peace between Israel and Arab nations if you don't deal first with the Palestinian problem. Now, you'll recall, President Trump took a different approach to Israel and the Arab world than his predecessors in Obama, in Bush, in Clinton, in the other Bush, in all of these administrations. Trump took a different approach. He said, we're not going to deal with the Palestinian problem first. We're just going to deal with Israel and the Arab states. John Kerry said that was a complete disaster. There's no way that could ever possibly work. Take a listen to Secretary of State Thurston Howell III. There will be no separate peace between Israel and the Arab world. I want to make that very clear to all of you. I've heard several prominent politicians in Israel sometimes saying, well, the Arab world's in a different place now. We just have to reach out to them and we can work some things with the Arab world and we'll deal with the Palestinians. No. No, no, and no. I can tell you that reaffirmed even in the last week as I have talked to leaders of the Arab community. There will be no advance and separate peace with the Arab world without the Palestinian process and Palestinian peace. Everybody needs to understand that. That is a hard reality. That's a hard reality that was completely disproven over the past four years, 100% shredded over the past four years. Donald Trump has completely ignored the Palestinian problem. He's just dealt with Israel's neighbors and Israel itself, and Israel has signed record peace deals with countless Arab neighbors. Israel, uh, Bibi Netanyahu, leader of Israel, just headed over and met with the crown prince of Saudi Arabia. Historic. Hasn't happened before. Trump completely right. Kerry completely wrong. And Kerry might be completely and frequently wrong, but he's never in doubt. He's always so sure. He has that waspish drawl. I promise you, lovey, lovey, I swear to you as I sit here sipping my Pimm's cup, Israel will never have peace in the Middle East if we do not deal with Palestine. Thank you, lovey. And it turned out that was completely wrong. Now, what sort of wrongheaded policies will John Kerry pursue as the climate czar? Could you imagine? Our great nation has been confronted with unprecedented peril. Burke said it very well. All it takes for evil to prevail is for good people to do nothing. If you want to help preserve America while you still can, join AMAC. This is the Association of Mature American Citizens, AMAC, the fastest growing conservative group in America. Joining AMAC gives you access to money-saving benefits, cutting-edge news, and a great bi-monthly magazine. But more importantly, AMAC fights for you. If you care about our future like I do, then join AMAC today. Over 2 million conservatives have already joined AMAC. Stand with us by joining right now. Go to amac.us slash Knowles, K-N-W-L-E-S. That is A-M-A-C dot U-S slash Knowles, K-N-W-L-E-S. The benefits of AMAC membership are great. They are terrific. But the cause, frankly, is even greater. Head on over there right now. Join today at amac.us slash Knowles, K-N-W-L-E-S.
John Kerry, he wasn't just wrong about the Palestinian issue in Israel, by the way. He, he was wrong about moving the embassy. You know, it was a U.S. policy for decades that the U.S. embassy in Israel should be in Jerusalem. In reality, it was in Tel Aviv because Americans were too afraid to put the embassy where they thought it would irritate the Palestinian Arabs. Well, so Donald Trump, he makes the same promises as everybody. He says, oh, I guess I'm supposed to put the embassy in Jerusalem. Okay, sounds good. Then he does it. I was talking to Senator Cruz on our podcast, Verdict. And apparently, when the, when the State Department came in, they presented the, the arguments for, for and against moving the embassy in Israel to Jerusalem. You had arguments uh, for moving it to Jerusalem, zero. Arguments against moving it to Jerusalem, a whole long list. Trump does it anyway. Turns out great. And then a lot of other countries follow suit and they name a town in Israel after Donald Trump, who the left still calls an anti-Semite, apparently the least successful anti-Semite in human history. John Kerry insisted, if you move that embassy, you are going to have an explosion. Kerry is also concerned about the Middle East, where he spent nine months trying to secure peace between the Israelis and Palestinians. He said the president-elect's campaign pledge to move the U.S. embassy to the disputed city of Jerusalem would inflame the Arab world. You'd have an explosion, an absolute explosion in the region. An absolute explosion. Actually, you had peace. You had record peace. As I mentioned just a little bit earlier, on Sunday, Israeli Prime Minister Bibi Netanyahu met with Saudi Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman in Saudi Arabia. This is the first publicly acknowledged meeting between a prime minister of the Israeli government and high-level officials of the Saudi Arabian government. Ever, ever. Shocking record peace. If you had told even me four years ago that Donald Trump would bring peace to the Middle East, and I voted for Trump, I supported Trump, I, I would have laughed. Not because I don't think Trump, you know, is a talented guy, just because it, I thought it was an intractable problem that both parties had tried for a long time to solve. Well, the reason that both parties couldn't solve it is because both parties had exactly the same approach. And Trump had a different approach. And the Trump approach worked. And now I do fear, if Trump is ushered off the stage, I fear that we're going to return to some kind of uniparty consensus the same failed consensus among squishy Republicans and liberal Democrats that we've had for decades in this country. I do like, by the way, that, that pr what President Trump's doing is sort of hedging his bets here, taking the legal fight to the courts, still claiming that the election was fraudulent and that he'll, he will prevail in the end, but also uh, figuring out how to get enough uh, enough of his preferred deals in place before he leaves that Joe Biden can't screw it up too much. I think a lot of what this meeting was about as well is that both Israel and Saudi Arabia fear a renewed Iran nuclear deal if Joe Biden becomes president. And so they want to get their affairs in order before that can possibly happen. In any event, great news for peace in the Middle East. The Trump presidential transition, if, if it does end up evolving into a, a fuller transition, is somehow not the most shocking and disturbing transition going on today. The reason for that is that HBO has a new show. The new show is called Transhood. Here's the description. Filmed over five years in Kansas City, Transhood chronicles the lives of four young people aged 15, okay, 12, hmm, 7, and 4 
and their families as they navigate growing up transgender in America's heartland. Four years old, transgender. I almost was not going to even play this clip on the show because it's so disturbing and these degenerates who filmed it and who participated in it, these adults should be in prison. Uh, but it's on HBO. It's out there. The clip has gone viral. And I suppose just like putting up images of a crime are helpful to nabbing the perpetrators, I think uh, we should probably publicize this clip that's already out there so that we can uh, bring this to the public forefront and so that uh, laws can be passed to make this illegal. Take a listen. Good morning. Today we choose to recognize, honor, love, and celebrate anyone here who would claim their identity publicly as lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, queer, or questioning, intersex, pansexual, asexual, or any category that I've left out. This is Phoenix. Phoenix is, looks like four years old. Oh, looks like a little shy. Girl. Do you want to tell everyone if you're a boy or a girl? I just want to tell them that I'm a girl. Okay, you can tell them that. <laughs> okay. Phoenix would like you to know that she's a girl and she prefers she and her pronouns. May you be well, safe, and whole. We honor you exactly as you are. This is so wrong on every single level. And every adult in that room, first of all, a law should be passed against this. If, if you can't use current child abuse laws, you should create a new law against whatever this is. You should prosecute every single person in this room, every adult. You should throw them in prison and you should throw away the key. That's it. Little River does not want to tell people that this little boy does not want to tell people that he's a little girl. He manifestly does not. He says he's too shiny. He leaves. He walks away. And then his sociopath mother takes the microphone and says, my little boy is a little girl. And then these perverts, all in a, in a what is a, obviously a religious ceremony, a leftist religious ceremony, tell the little boy that he's a little girl and they give him a little flower. Now, this is a religion. There, there, there actually is a term for this, which is called Gnostic dualism. It's a heresy that I thought was snuffed out in the West over a thousand years ago, and it apparently wasn't. It's the idea that uh, your physical body has nothing to do with your true self, your true self, which is purely metaphysical. So your body can be entirely male, for instance, but your true metaphysical self is female in some way. It's a, it's a, it's a ridiculous religion, but it is a religious view. These sickos are foisting that religious view on these children and uh, convincing them and confusing them into believing that little boys are little girls and little girls are little boys and seriously inflicting psychological damage on them. And there are some people in, in this country, there are some people in the conservative movement who look at this and say that it is a blessing of liberty. I kid you not. People who, they call themselves libertarians, but I don't, 
I wouldn't call them libertarians because I think that's offensive to libertarian, to actual libertarianism, which I'm not a libertarian myself, but I, this is something even more shallow and degraded to say that, oh yes, Thomas Jefferson and George Washington would love a bunch of adults abusing little children and convincing little boys that they're little girls. That's what they meant when they described the blessings of liberty. That is not what they meant when they described the blessings of liberty. And there's a, a real issue on the right that we need to deal with and snuff out, which is this mistaken belief that we are not allowed to have any views on moral matters. We're not allowed to have any, and we're certainly not allowed to enforce any views because you can't legislate morality or some other bumper slogan nonsense. Of course, you can, not only can you legislate morality, you necessarily legislate morality. All laws legislate morality from laws about the death penalty down to parking tickets. All laws weigh in on moral questions and come to moral conclusions and enforce those moral conclusions on the, the country, on the people. And it's in, in a way, it's the right's fault that we got this. The left are the aggressors, so I don't want to victim blame here. You know, the, the real victims are the kids. But it is in a way conservatives' fault because what we said is, when we were approached by this radical leftism, which basically goes under the name of political correctness, when we were approached by this, a completely new standard, a moral standard, a religious standard, a standard of speech, a standard of behavior, a standard that said, I'm going to have drag queen story hour and twerk in front of four-year-old kids. I'm going to have men put on dresses and twerk in front of four-year-old kids. And I'm going to convince four-year-old kids that they're, the little boys are little girls. When we were confronted with that, instead of pushing back and saying, no, that's wrong. It's morally wrong. It's physically, factually wrong. And we're not going to tolerate that. What we said is, well, you know, look, you have your standard and we have our standards. And there's no way that we can possibly discern between the two. Uh, how, there's no way to discern between good and bad. There's no way to, to discern between things that lead to human flourishing and things that lead to human degradation. There's no way to discern. So we're just going to throw up our hands and say, you do you. And, and we do it all in the name of, say, free speech, for instance. A lot of people are defending this child abuse on the, on the grounds of free speech. Child abuse is not free speech. And in, in a way, it's our fault because for a long time, maybe two decades now, conservatives, right-wingers have taken this very shallow and inaccurate reading of what free speech means in the American tradition to, to suggest that it means you can say anything at all, anything whatsoever. That is not true. <laughs> that has never been true. And conservatives have not believed that except for the past 15 or 20 years or so. There have been whole swaths of speech that have been illegal in America from the very beginning and nobody's disagreed. Sedition, uh, threats, fighting words, fraud, all, uh, all manner of speech. Obscenity, obviously. Obscenity has been illegal from the very beginning. We don't enforce it very much anymore, but it is. This is obscene. This is worse than obscene. This is abusive. And it, there's nothing hypocritical, hypocritical rather, about conservatives calling that out. And the longer we cowardly, in, in a cowardly way, stand back, throw up our hands and say, well, I, don't, I can't criticize what you're doing to those kids because then, look, if I criticize you, for transing the kids, you might criticize me for taking my kids to church. Uh, okay, but one of those things is good and one of those things is evil. And we can discern. We have rational faculties. There is, a, there is objective truth. I know that's unfashionable to say. We have faculties of reason. That's also unfashionable to say. And we can discern, not always perfectly, but pretty well, between what is good 
and what is evil using those faculties of reason. And we can enforce those views in the political sphere. That's what politics is for. Our founding fathers sure would have understood that. And I can't believe that we are permitting this right now. That should be illegal. (laughs) We should not ever, ever permit that in this country. HBO should be boycotted, that this movie should be taken off of the air. And the, the people who not only produce the movie, forget that for a second, these parents should be prosecuted. And you should wear soft shirts. Buttercloth shirts are not stiff, stiff. They're not scratchy like typical men's dress shirts. They feel like you're wearing your favorite t-shirt. They do. They are absolutely fabulous. As I get so riled up in this culture, one thing that makes me feel a little bit more comfortable are my buttercloth shirts. I, I love this shirt. You've seen me wear it many times. This revolutionary new fabric is 100% long fiber cotton with six-way stretch. It's breathable, keeps you warm in winter and cool in summer. The signature details and tailored fit will make you look amazing. Buttercloth caught the attention of ABC's hit show Shark Tank in 2018, and they loved the shirt so much that they invested a quarter million dollars, $250,000. During COVID, no one wants to go to the mall. and A lot of malls aren't even open. Buttercloth is sent to you. And if you're shopping for gifts, buttercloth can ship mul- to multiple addresses in one order. I was skeptical of this, guys. It, this is a, a dress shirt. It's an Oxford shirt. It is the softest shirt I've ever worn. It's amazing. It feels like it, it would be some synthetic material. It's not. It's great cotton. Right now, buttercloth is offering our listeners up to 50% off your first purchase. Go to buttercloth.com slash Knowles, K-N-W-L-E-S, and the discount will be applied at checkout. That is buttercloth.com slash Knowles, K-N-W-L-E-S, to get up to 50% off your first purchase. You know, horrible things happening to children on HBO. Good things happening to children in my new state of Tennessee, which we will get to in one second. You know, Thanksgiving's almost here. That means that Black Friday is almost here too. Since last year's Black Friday deal, we've been consistently adding more features and products to our membership program, and we're really excited about it. We've added more exclusive Reader's Pass content. Our Insider and Above members can now stream our content on Apple TV and Roku, which is exciting because of all the new content we're adding, like this show going to, drum roll please, five days a week. This show is going to five days a week, starting on Friday, December 4th. Very exciting stuff. We're also going to radio, by the way, which will be a lot of fun. Your account also now comes with custom badges that you can earn by participating in Daily Wire events. You also get two Leftist Tears tumblers, early access to our Daily Wire merch, and daily discussions with our writers and special guests. We're also continuing to add new features and products, like the entire PragerU library, which is currently being added to the website, which is good. That includes my show on PragerU, the book club. You will get content from Candace Owens, who's launching a new show with us early next year. Needless to say, we're very excited about this year's deal. You do not want to miss it. Head over to dailywire.com. We'll be right back with a lot more. Some good news, fortunately, for especially for young people in the United States not in whatever kooky place and whatever kooky network was, was transing the kids, but in Tennessee, a state that I'm loving more and more by the minute. Uh, Tennessee passed a law recently banning abortions on the basis of race, sex, and a prenatal diagnosis of Down syndrome. This was then challenged by the left, which is, it's so ironic. I felt this, uh, this law was a wonderful law 
in itself. It did good things in itself, but also wonderful in the way that it trolled the left because the left always accuses us. What do they say? They say we're sexist, we're racist, we're ableist. That's a new term. It means you're mean to people who have different handicaps. And then what does the left do? The left tries to abort babies on the basis of their race, their sex, and their handicaps. Specifically here, a prenatal diagnosis of Down syndrome. In Iceland, so not in the United States, but in Iceland, they bragged a couple years ago that they had eradicated Down syndrome. But they, they didn't. You can't eradicate Down syndrome. It's not like they found a cure for Down syndrome. They were bragging that they killed all the babies that had Down syndrome. And so what this law in Tennessee said is you can't do that. That's wrong. It's racist, sexist, ableist. Just plain wrong. And the left sued. They said, we do want to be able to kill babies on the basis of their race. What if we don't like their race? We do want to kill babies on the basis of their sex. Maybe I don't want a daughter. We do. We absolutely do want to kill babies on the basis of their handicaps. What if we want to do that? Why? How dare you tell us that we can? So this ruling, this law rather, was upheld by an appeals court. Litigation is going to continue, but for now, the law is mostly permitted to stay in effect. And then it will work its way up the court system. This is thanks to the Sixth Circuit Court of Appeals, which lifted part of a lower court's preliminary injunction that blocked the law from being enforced. So the law now is being enforced. That is a very good thing. We are going to have to weigh in on these issues in the country. Okay, we're, we're talking about transitions, trans, you know, transing the administration, transing the kids. And I think a lot of conservatives, particularly the ones with a very, very, very degraded view of libertarianism, a misunderstanding of libertarianism in, in large part, they want to pretend that there is some neutral ground, that we can just live in a neutral ground, a neutral liberal space, and it's a neutral secular space where everything is fine and we can kind of have a truce and you won't, the lefties won't aggress and the conservatives won't aggress and it's all, we can all just respect one another's views. That's not how politics works. The, the law will, will decide certain things. The culture will go certain places. Either you can kill kids if they have Down syndrome or you can't kill kids if, if they have Down syndrome. And you've got to weigh in. And either way you rule on that, by the way, you are enforcing your morality on others. You are, you are either way. Some way, either the people who want to kill the kids with Down syndrome are going to feel coerced into not doing that, or the people who don't want to kill kids with Down syndrome are going to feel coerced into living in this culture that slaughters kids with Down syndrome. Either way, you are going to impose your morality on others. Have to do it. That's, a, that's one reality you have to acknowledge. The next one is, we can know good from evil. We have a conscience. We have faculties of reason. We can be educated. We have intelligence. Less and less every day, it seems, looking around the country. But we do. We do. We have intelligence. We can do that. We need confidence and courage, the prerequisite of all the other virtues, to state that plainly. Because what we're seeing around us in our government is, is kind of the performance of different branches, different structures in our government. It's a show. I've referred in the past to court jester conservatives, the conservatives who pretend to oppose the dominant liberal regime, but they don't really. They just, when push comes to shove, they roll over. They put up enough limp opposition to legitimize the regime, but ultimately they roll over. The same is true when you look at the media. The same is true when you look at the, not just the news media, but the entertainment media. It's a big show. Here's a great example of the show. Andrew Cuomo, 
is about to win an Emmy Award. Andrew Cuomo, last I checked, he's not in any movies. He's not in any sitcoms, but he's going to win an Emmy. The International Emmy Awards are going to give uh, Andrew Cuomo an award. Quote, in recognition of his leadership during the COVID-19 pandemic and his masterful use of television to inform and calm people around the world. Well, what television? Oh, because Andrew Cuomo went on his brother's show at CNN and they made jokes with each other. And Chris Cuomo tried to cover up his brother's failings in New York, which led to the, directly led to the deaths of thousands of elderly New Yorkers, made New York the number one leader in the country in COVID deaths. And as of now, the number two leader in death rate the only one ahead of him in death rate is New Jersey. Another democratic stronghold. We can get to that in a second. By any measure, Andrew Cuomo did worse on coronavirus than pretty much any governor in the whole country. Certainly much, much worse than the president. They didn't get the hospitals right. Javits Center and the, the federal hospital ship, totally unnecessary. They didn't get the respirators right. They didn't get anything right. They didn't get a single thing right, but they used the news media, specifically Cuomo's brother, to lie about the record, and the news media gave him plaudits, and now the entertainment media are going to give him an award too. It's all a big show, disconnected from reality. And liberal Republicans remain completely clueless. They go along with it. They provide limp opposition, and then ultimately they acquiesce to the true rulers of the country, the bureaucracy. You saw this with the liberal Republican governor, Larry Hogan. Larry Hogan, big old lib. Larry Hogan uh, comes out and he says, you need to wear a mask. You need to listen to Dr. Fauci. Sure, we can pretend to be Republicans, but you ultimately need to listen to our technocratic scientific egghead overlords. If you don't do that, you, you're basically guilty of murder. Well, it's, it's sort of like saying, I have a constitutional right uh, to drive drunk. I have a constitutional right to not wear a seatbelt or to yell fire in a crowded movie theater uh, or to not follow the speed limit. Uh, it, it's, you know, we're talking about a quarter of a million people dying already, you know, more than, you know, the, the, the Korean War, the Gulf War and the Vietnam War added together. Uh, which part don't you understand? You wear the mask. It's, there's no constitutional right to walk around without a mask. This is, we did it in, in, in uh, 1918. I don't know why we can't do it now. First of all, no, we didn't have nationwide mask mandates in 1918. How stupid does this guy think we are? But more, we also didn't have a, a technocratic uh, administrative apparatus in 1918 that was actually governing us uh, through the mouthpieces of governors, including liberal Republicans like Larry Hogan. But, but more than that, not wearing a mask is like driving drunk. Show me those death rates, buddy. I don't, I don't think that's true. All the experts were telling us that we shouldn't wear masks, what, five, six months ago? Now they're telling us we should wear masks. And who knows what they'll tell us tomorrow. Studies coming out questioning the effectiveness of the masks. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Whatever is convenient to our technocratic overlords. Now, what's funny about this, everyone's attacking Larry Hogan for this, including me, but, but I actually think he's on to a little something when he says, look, we, you don't have a right to yell fire in a crowded theater, which is an extraordinarily overused example, but it gets to what we were saying earlier. There are limits on, well, on everything, because this is a limited, bounded world. 
from the very beginning of our country all the way to the present. There have, there have been huge swaths of speech we're not allowed to say. There have been plenty of things that we're not allowed to do. I used to be very frustrated by this as a little kid, back when people still said, but this is a free country. You remember when, when kids would say that? And I would say, I'd say, wait, what do you mean there's a speed limit? Oh, this is a free country. What do you mean there's a traffic light? This is a free country. But of course, I had a childish view of freedom, which a lot of people have today. And what, is, what the founding fathers had is an adult view of freedom, an exalted freedom, a freedom in ordered liberty, a freedom in justice, a freedom that uh, does not just have us pursuing our appetites willy-nilly, but a freedom that gives us the right to do what we ought to do. The question here for Larry Hogan is, where is the law about the masks? Where is the tradition about the masks? Where is the, uh, what, what is the argument for the masks? They haven't made a very good one. It's capricious rulings from governors and worse, uh, usually rulings with very little uh, binding effect and worse, capricious rulings from eggheads who actually have no democratic accountability at all. Well, that is, that is beyond our constitutional framework. That is beyond our, our democratic and Republican political norms. That's why we should ignore those stupid things. Th- these guys themselves tend not to believe their own BS. They tend not to, to believe their own press releases. You've seen time and again, Nancy Pelosi flouts her lockdown rules. Nancy Pelosi won't wear the mask. Uh, Gavin Newsom flouts his lockdown rules. Gavin Newsom refuses often to wear the mask. Uh, you, you, uh, Chris Cuomo pretended that he was locked up quarantining from coronavirus. He actually was walking around, riding bicycles around the Hamptons and getting into fights with people who called him out for it. Again and again and again, we see this. Now we just saw the New Jersey Democratic governor, uh, who was uh, Phil Murphy, who was just confronted for not wearing a mask and for going out to dinner and having a nice night with his family. And women who maybe they had a couple too many and uh, you know had a couple Coca-Colas at dinner, and in classic New Jersey style, got right up in his face about it. Oh my God! Hey, how you oh doing? Oh my God, Murphy! How you doing? Such a d- you're having you fun are... with your family. In the meantime, you're having all kind of other bullshit oh, going on. Oh, you're drunk? No, no, I'm not drunk. As a matter of fact, well, can you, put your mask? you can go f- yourself. How's that? Well, I don't, you don't need have a f- mask on. You know why I don't need a mask? Because there ain't nothing like f- Trump, wrong with me. I like your Trump phone you're case. You're f- right. Guess you who do. Trump likes? He likes my dad. Yeah. He do- no, he doesn't like your oh, phone. Oh, he does. Get the f- out of here. Thank you. Let's go. Let's go. Come out of here. Okay, so I, I will say in general, I don't like it when angry people come up to public figures in restaurants. I just think it's, it's just wrong. It's uncivilized. It's unseemly. You shouldn't do it. Even some jerk like Phil Murphy, especially when he's with his family. I, I do think that is wrong. I don't think people should do that sort of thing. The reason I even bring this video up though is Phil Murphy's response. Phil Murphy is sitting there having dinner, got his family at, no mask, obviously. And then this woman comes up and gives him a piece of her mind. And he says, excuse me, can you please put the mask on? Can you please put the mask on? Why don't you put the mask on? How come she's got to wear a mask, but you don't need to wear a mask? And what's funny is you see later in the video, he realizes he's being filmed. Then he puts the mask on. He didn't have the mask on before. Of course, the the mask issue in restaurants is completely preposterous. The way it works now is you walk up to a restaurant and then right before you walk, you don't have the mask on, then you walk in the door and you have to put the mask on. And you talk to the hostess. You walk to your table. So you walk 10 feet to your table. You have to have the mask on. Then you sit down at the table and you enter an invisible orb of health and sanitation whereby you can take the mask off and you can breathe freely. The virus cannot penetrate 
the magical orb of the dinner table, you see. And the waiters and the bussers and the kitchen runners are going to come and go, and that, but that doesn't matter. You can't get the virus. You can't give the virus because you're in the magical orb. But then the minute you get up to use the restroom or to leave the restaurant, you have, you have to put the mask back on. Now, this doesn't make any sense at all. And Phil Murphy, the governor, was showing that. He's saying, no, no, I'm sitting at the, at the magical dinner table, so I can't give you coronavirus. But you, because you're standing up eight inches away from me, you have to wear the mask completely incoherent. I'm not even totally disagreeing with guys like Larry Hogan or the people who say we, we need to, you don't have a constitutional right not to wear a mask. The police does have certain powers in pandemics. Yeah, sure. Okay, that's fine. I want to get into the details about this. What's the argument for the mask? How come you keep co- contradicting your own rules? How come you keep violating your own rules for that matter? Now, all of a sudden, I'm much, much less likely to follow what you're saying because they have no credibility whatsoever. Neither the governors who are enforcing these things, nor the experts who are pulling the puppet strings. At Newsom, Newsolini, I'm so glad I left that state, which is now being locked down. They're going to end up closing all the restaurants permanently, probably. Newsom, you know, before he, amid all of his different lockdown orders, decided to go have a nice little fancy dinner with a friend of his at the French Laundry, Michelin-rated restaurant. It was about $350 per plate, at least unless you want the delicious little gnocchi edition, that costs another 150 bucks. And I've heard it's worth it. I've never been myself, but but Gavin seemed like he had a good night. So what Gavin Newsom said, we played it on the show a few days ago, is that he went to this dinner and he he thought it was going to be fewer people and it was going to be outside, you know, and, but he made a mistake. He shouldn't have sat down, but look, it was basically fine. And it really didn't violate the rules, but anyway, he probably shouldn't have done it. Now we found out from an award-winning journalist, Adam Housley, who is from the town that this restaurant's in apparently, He says, because Yountville is my hometown and where the French Laundry is located, I thought I'd do some digging. Facts about the Newsom dinner. The bar bill was around $15,000. $15,000. That is more even than I could drink. And I I always thought I was pretty good. 22 people in attendance, not 12, as previously reported. No masks, all indoors. They got so loud, other patrons complained. There was zero effort to go outside and there was no social distancing of any type. I'm also told that some of those there are now privately laughing at the controversy. Of course, they all are. Remember, this is my little hometown, the walls speak. I mention all of this because for all of these stories, the the trans kids story on HBO, the the transition story, maybe we're seeing a presidential administration from Trump. I I hope not, but there might be a world, you know, we we have to deal with the distinct and more than distinct possibility that Biden's going to be the next president. The government that we are looking at and Kerry's appointment, alleged appointment as the climate czar, is the, is the little cherry on top of this awful Sunday. The government that we're looking at is one of absolutely capricious, radical, incoherent, technocratic policy that will be outside the bounds of democratic politics, even more so than it already is. It will, be a, it will effectively be an oligarchy whereby the experts who have special privileges and little accountability will play by one set of rules. All the rest of us will be expected to play by another set of rules, and they can change the rules of the game at any time. That is a transition. Not just transing the poor little kids, not just transing one administration to another, but transitioning away from a constitutional government toward a progressive, technocratic government. 
This is explicitly what Woodrow Wilson called for in the early days of the progressive movement. This is what the left has clamored for for a hundred years, and we appear to be on the verge of getting it. That is a transition that none of us can tolerate, and we appear to be on the cusp of it. Have to be very, very vigilant. We have to be very vigilant to try to hold the Senate. We have to be very, very vigilant to try to hold the presidency if we still can't let the legal process play out. That, that is a transition that it, that it would seem very difficult to ever come back from. That's our show. I'm Michael Knowles. This is The Michael Knowles Show. See you tomorrow. If you enjoyed this episode, and frankly, even if you didn't, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever else you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, The Andrew Klavan Show, and The Matt Walsh Show. The Michael Knowles Show is produced by Ben Davies. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Our technical director is Austin Stevens. Supervising producers, Mathis Glover and Robert Sterling. Assistant director, Pavel Wadowski. Editor and associate producer, Danny D'Amico. Audio mixer, Robin Fenderson. Hair and makeup, Nika Geneva. And production assistant, Ryan Love. The Michael Knowles Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2020. Hey everyone, it's Andrew Claven, host of The Andrew Claven Show. President Trump has ordered the transition to a Biden presidency to begin, even as he continues his legal fight. So what happened to the coup? What happened to Trump as Hitler? Gee, it's almost as if everything the Democrats have been saying for the last four years has been complete crap. What a shock. We'll talk about it on The Andrew Claven Show.